Hey everybody and welcome back to Indie Talks on Pixel Response. As always, I'm Paul and Nathan is not available to join us tonight, so it's just me. But luckily I have a very special guest. We have the creator of Home on Steam. Uh, a unique horror adventure, I guess, is the subtitle. Mr. Benjamin Rivers, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Glad we could uh, make this work. For sure. Like it's been, We've been going back and forth and had a few issues back and forth with communications, but... We're set up, we're all good to go, and I'm happy to be talking to you finally, and maybe, I don't want to get into too many things about, like, the context of your game, but maybe off the air I could ask you some things you were thinking, because I don't sure. want to spoil anything for anybody. Sure, I know, it's it's weird, you know, as I've been talking to a few people, it's, uh, or even hearing other people on podcasts talk about it, everyone seems really, really uh, sensitive about spoiling parts of the game, which is kind of funny. Right. Like... The thing with Home that I found interesting more than anything is a lot of games that are out right now, they work on like really good programming or a really good gimmick or something mechanically that's really good gameplay-wise and then kind of write a story around it. Or if there's more than one person, then one person works on one thing, the other person works on the other, and they just kind of combine their efforts at the end. Whereas Home seems to really go for more of a narrative and then the gameplay is just a way to better immerse the person into that narrative? Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, um, uh, one thing I'm, I sometimes get tired with with a lot of games, especially indie games, is that they're all mechanics-first experiences. And uh, as someone who doesn't play games specifically for mechanics, at least not exclusively, mm-hmm. uh, to only have a game uh, have its selling point be, you know, it's an action puzzle or you know, you can double jump or something like that. To me, that's not interesting because that's not, um, like, I, I don't, you know, at 5 o'clock every day, I don't sit there and go, okay, I want to learn how to double jump today or, or whatnot. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, I want to I go to some experience I haven't had before. I want to, yeah, follow the story, like you say. So I guess, yeah, it was a bit of a response to that. Right. And, like, just looking at some of your pedigree here and what you've worked on before, um, a one of the bigger ones is a project called Snow, it looks like. Now, I haven't been able to actually do this because I don't have a Kobo or anything like that. I've been meaning to try the game out. But I have seen some of the graphic novel, and I quite like the art in it. Mm, Well, thanks very much. Um, I I, I wish I had time to just sit down and read it. I will get to it probably in the winter break here, but I'm not able to actually play the game portion because it seems like it's only out for Kobo. Is that it's right? uh, there's a print version as well um, that I have on the site, and there's still there's still uh, copies left of that. So okay, uh, if you don't have an e-reader, there is still a way to order. Obviously, you know, costs more than than getting it um, uh, through the Kobo store. It also is available through the iBook store. So okay, uh, and, now, it can, and it can also be purchased as just a PDF off the site. Okay, because now I have, I do have, um, I'm part of the Android ecosystem, so I have right. a Nexus tablet. Right. Would I be able to use it, like, with my Amazon reader? Uh, it depends on what Amazon chooses. I mean, you can get Kobo for Android, so technically you can go through the Kobo store and it would work there. Uh, okay. if you but uh, I don't know if the Amazon reader on, on Android devices reads EPUBs. It should. I mean, they all should. It's a standard format, but I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but worst comes to worst, um, there's the ebook, which is just a PDF, and that can be read in any PDF reader, okay. like a good, good reader or something. Okay, sounds good. So I'll look into that a little bit more. But it seems like with Snow, it again is very narrative driven because I mean it's a graphic novel. So. Right. 
Yeah, and, and um, I mean, you know, some people may have seen that the, there was a small game portion to Snow as well that was created uh, during the writing of um, uh, during the writing of the graphic novel. And uh, you know, it's just like a little five-minute adventure game. It's nothing, nothing off the charts or anything. But uh, but it uh, that was sort of my little experiment to how some of the stuff might work. Um, and you can see some dialogue trees that are working in there. But it was kind of the the thing that put the bug in my ear about hey, I really think this could you know I could do something a little bit more with this. Right. So in a way, it was kind of like the stepping stone to what you did with home. Yeah, it was totally for me the proof that even in such a small uh, small situation that I guess I wasn't crazy <laughs> when I messed around with this a little bit. It uh, it seemed like it worked pretty well, and I got I have to admit it, I got like a ton of great feedback over Snow, like the game, even though it's just like a five minute you know know nothing adventure game. Um, but it's been used to teach narrative uh, like constructs and classes and stuff like that. I've heard so. Uh, it was pre- it was pretty neat because for me it was basically just like a learning experiment um, that I took as part of this uh, as this program that was here in Toronto. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so going back to home, I guess home is on Steam now. Is it on like Desura and all that other stuff people can go to? Right now it's Steam only. Okay. I I do get emails about this every now and then. It's mostly just to keep my brain from exploding. Um, to not have to support it in seven places at once. Right. Uh, I am working on a version of the game that will be coming out at some point next year, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I don't want to go into too many specifics, but uh, you know, to make it available to other platforms. So there'll be more distribution sort of across the board. But for now, because it's just Windows only, and keeping it on Steam, and then once I have a, a version that's a little bit more cross-platform, then again, you'll see it in a few more places. Right. So now... With the actual gameplay, without giving too much away, it's, <laughs> right. you play a character, and it seems almost like rather a lot of what games try to do these days is throw you into the game and put y- your avatar or whatever in there. But what this seems to do is that you're narrating this person's life as it's going right. by. Um, and I like I've had a few friends that have played it, and we've all talked about it like off air and stuff after and it seems like each one of our interpretations of some of the stuff that happens has been completely different so it's kind of neat that with implementing so little actual direct narrative about someone's life and giving the person the option to choose how this person's path is going and still kind of a linear matter you're able to get different outcomes just by how people interpreted the certain things like more than anything you put in specific little like it's very atmospheric but you put in certain little things that people could either choose to do or not do like there's a gun that you can choose to take or not take and there's a videotape you can choose to or find to thing to play it and stuff like that but in the end it's kind of i'm trying to think at the same time i'm talking here it's not very working very well without giving anything away but (laughs) Um, the same events happen for everybody, but what I found interesting is everybody interprets it a little bit differently, so every yeah. person's adventure is their own still. I'm kind of intrigued about if that was intentional or if it was just kind of a happy mistake that came along. Oh, right, no, no, that was, I mean, that was entirely the point of the game itself. Uh, and there are some things that happen that not everyone will see. Um, some people don't, don't always notice that, but because uh, I make them a little bit subtle, it's not like a big obvious branching narrative thing but no you're right that is entirely the point 
the thing I have with most games as far as how they deal with narrative is that in most cases, what people consider to be game narrative is simply, you know, a monodirectional story. So the person on the other side, you know, like in a Halo or something like that, is telling you something that's going on. And you're basically playing out the bits between the important parts. Mm -hmm. uh, in other cases, there are games that let you... Um, they let you... I guess get a sense of feedback for what you're doing. You know, Bastion's a good example where it is a lot more... Uh, it does pay attention to you a lot more. So it's narrating what you're doing as you're doing it. Right. Um, but in a, in a slightly more specific way, I feel. Now, I haven't played Draw Bastion, so I don't want to say something stupid that I'll regret. Um, <laughs> so just from what I've played, this is how it seems to me. What I tried to do was... Well, I guess what Home does is that it makes a narrative that is impossible without player input. Right. Whether you're there or not, there's no default. Mm -hmm. You could never novelize it. It could never be made into a movie. Uh, it's a story that can only exist as a game. Because if you don't do anything or say yes or no or, or help things along, then as far as the game's concerned, nothing ever happened. Right. So people always feel, I think both inside the game industry and out, that more story equals better story. Right. You know, for instance, a longer cutscene is, is a more in-depth story, but it seems like we're a little bit slow to realize that that's not always the case. And I like, you know, I play Metal Gear games, so uh, <laughs> I can't complain about that too much because, you know, I've made a sandwich at the end of Metal Gear Solid 4 because it was like an hour and a half long cutscene or whatever it was. Which is uh, not to say it's still not a very valid way of doing it, just, right, it's an, just maybe an overdone way. <laughs> it's, it's one way, and it's the way that we seem to have um, chosen as... Yeah, the way that we make video games, right. which is too bad because there's. I feel like we're. Uh, it's like we've just discovered beef, and the only thing we've learned how to make is hamburgers, and no one's ever, no one's ever tried to do anything else with that. Right. Which is, which is a dumb metaphor, but. Uh, so the idea that if you don't come into it and sort of invest the time, which isn't which isn't a lot, I guess, but invest the time to say yes, I want to see this happen, I want to be part of this, then. Uh, then yeah, the game doesn't exist and the story doesn't happen. And I've had a lot of people who've had a you know a problem with this and they've you know posted negative things or, or whatnot about it, which is legit because if, you, if that's not the experience you're looking for, if you want to kick back and have like a cutscene pass by every 30 minutes or something, and, and you just want to get something interesting told to you, then yeah, home's not the game for you. And there are other people who do that better than than I could probably do it. Uh, but I really feel like there is a giant hole in the industry where stuff like this doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe it's because not everybody wants it, you know? Um, but uh, I'm too stubborn to, <laughs> to stop doing it, so... Well, what seems interesting to me is, like, um, video games right now in storylines and stuff, you see with Mass Effect and certain other games that have come out that there's always an uproar about because video games now are trying to give players more agency in the way the story is told when it's kind right. of almost impossible to do that because right. with someone pre-programming something, you have to have... That person has to have the agency first and tell you what the story is and at the same time you're kind of tricking the player. Right. The thing with Home that I found is that even though you have little agency in what how the story is told, you have agency over what your experience is, and that seems to resonate a lot more strongly in a player's mind, such as myself, in the end. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's not so much about, oh, I made this story, but I lived this story in this way, or I exactly. saw this story this way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, if anyone's ever seen my Twitter feed, they can find a link to my blog where I go on a 6,000-page essay about Mass Effect <laughs> <laughs> and why I like it. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I don't... Um, I don't think we need to be without those kinds of experiences, but that is a different a different way to do things entirely. And I also think that um, uh, it's interesting because I took a lot of inspiration from certain Japanese uh, genres that actually never really make it uh, over here, mm -hmm. like over to the West, like visual novels and stuff. Right. Not that I you know play a ton of them or think they're the greatest thing ever, but there's a lot of lessons to be learned from them, and I took those um, into making home. And a lot of people, I mean. I guess a lot more people know this now because of the internet, but, uh, you know, for instance, there was a visual novel version of Silent Hill that was released for the Game Boy Advance, and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. And the first time I found out about this, I was just blown away. So I think I managed to, you know, cough, cough, emulate it, because I wanted to see what it was, and my language skills weren't super great at the time, and uh, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. But it uh, it was the first time I ever played one of those visual novels, and I went, wait, I, you know, this is, this is great. This is like a radio drama with pictures. Why wouldn't you want to play this kind of stuff? Like, this is such a viable way to do things, especially for, like, a low-powered system. Right. Uh, so that was a huge checkmark for me, saying, like, this this kind of stuff needs to be integrated more because there's so much that can be done with this that people just seem to ignore because they say, well, you know, you can't shoot a gun if you're sitting there reading a block of text. Um, but it turns, it turns out you can. It's just, you know, maybe you're not pressing a, an A button. Maybe you're typing in shoot gun. You know, there's... There's a lot of neat things there. Right. And I just, and I think we've, um, you know, like if everyone says like adventure games need to come back and I think the, the 90s adventure games are, are, are dead and I think they died for a reason and I don't want them back. But I think what people forget is that all the great lessons that came from that genre and that time, uh, there's, there's still great lessons and they can still be applied to lots of what we do and just people don't always, uh, they don't, I don't know, they don't they take the necessary elements. Right. Uh, what they try to do is recreate a certain... Like, they try to recreate the game rather than take the element that made that game at the time so special and do it with modern things. Right. Well, once again, it's a case of mechanics first. Like, pointing and clicking uh, around a 2D adventure game like that is boring as all hell to me. Mm -hmm. um, because it was... It was a design born of the limitations of hardware and all that stuff at the time, and it worked really well for what it, you know for what it was doing. But now that we have you know touch screens and we have mobile devices and we have all this kind of stuff and you know 3ds's and whatever, uh, the last thing I want to play is a 90s style adventure game. I always go on about uh, Sing, who's the developer that made um, like Trace Memory and another Code and Hotel Dusk and those games. Yep. Uh, and I have a big article on my blog where I sort of go on go in about them. Um, and how I wish there's more developers like them, but that, to me, they took a lot of lessons from that era and those genres uh, and applied them to new kinds of games. Right. Uh, and, yeah. Going back a little bit, you were talking about Silent Hill, mm -hmm. and um, so Silent Hill is one of my favorite game series of all time. I just love it to pieces, and cool. we playing home, right. I was going to ask this, there was obvious some... Um, Obviously, some Silent Hill inspiration there, right? Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Silent Hill is, yeah, like, my number one thing. I've consumed and written and read far too much information on that series. Right. And what Silent Hill does so great is the exact same thing that Home does as well, uh, where Silent Hill still has more of an action thing going for it. 
uh, I'm just trying to think of what I'm going to say here. Like, there's enemies everywhere and you still kill them. What your game does is the same with the ambient horror type feel where you're just uncomfortable the whole time you're playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and for me, again, yeah, huge, huge fan of Silent Hill, um, obviously, but uh, for me, it wasn't a case of, man, I want to make a mechanically similar Silent Hill game, uh, which is what a lot of people try to do and wonder why, you know, it gets boring after a while or it's just not, not the same thing. But the elements that you mentioned that, I do love about Silent Hill, and even and even some of the older Resident Evils as well. But you know, just the creeping dread, just the the constant nervousness. Uh, I remember Silent Hill one. You know, when I played it, you know, I played it like in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m. in the dark, just my cat, nothing else going on, and I would just terrify myself. And uh, I would play to a point where, you know, this is the part where uh, you get a call from Cheryl, and you're in the school, and you just pick up that one phone in a classroom, and she talks to you and then you put the phone down and I remember playing that saying that's it I'm done for the night I can't deal with this anymore yeah save, save my game way too freaky and it was the first game I ever played where I didn't want to do anything because I was too scared yeah uh, for me I always had a dread even from a little being a little kid of hospitals mm. and the minute you walk into a hospital in a Silent Hill game and you just see the reception area I'm just like right. oh this is gonna be rough yeah <laughs> the whole time yeah yeah it's pretty it's they did a good job, but I guess what I wanted to take from that, and you know, players can decide on whether I was successful or not, was uh, was yeah, f- fear. But all the fear that you, when you realize it, you inflict upon yourself. Yes. You know, the only one that's saying you shouldn't go through that door because it's scary is you, and the only one who's afraid to to you know follow up on a sound that you thought you heard is you. Uh, and the game is really just nudging things along. And that's another one of my, I guess, another of the issues I always take with games where they just really try to force, uh, you know, like you to be afraid or try to uh, make you feel certain things. But it doesn't take much, and not all players are like this. And you know, I, I know that very well. Mm-hmm. But especially if you like those kind of genres, you come in prepared. Then when something freaky happens, you kind of just, you know, the player puts in fifty percent of the work, right. and you realize. That you know, once you turn the game off or whatnot, that you you know that that fear you feel after is totally your fault. Uh, and for people who don't get like they don't like horror movies or they don't get scared reading scary books or or don't have an overactive imagination, then they watch the stuff and they go, I don't, I don't get it. You know, it's not really that that scary. But if you're susceptible to, to that stuff, then yeah, it's it's a hoot. So yeah, like specifically for me in home, when the area you start off in, I wasn't very scared of at all or the caves, but as soon as there was an abandoned factory, I was like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it was that I don't know why, that's what did it for me. As soon as I walk in, it's just this idea of uh, like I've worked in warehouses most of my life and stuff and there's something inherently terrifying to me about industrial buildings when there's yeah. no one around. Yeah, we used, we used to sneak around schools and stuff when I was a kid, uh, and um, uh, like after after hours, and you know, go to school, schoolyards and stuff. And there's something about offices and all that kind of all that kind of jazz when no one's around, when they're not supposed to be there. Yeah, and then I guess talking, you said you mentioned Resident Evil quickly. I noticed that you put the door animation in there, and I love that. Oh, mm-hmm. that homage! If it was on purpose. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I know it's funny. A lot of people go online and think like I've never played Resident Evil, and they think what a weird accident. Like what a ripoff. How could he not realize he was doing this? But it was totally, totally an homage. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's no loading time necessarily to to uh, 
uh, cover up, but I love the tension of having to wait. And, uh, uh, you know, one thing I didn't do in the game necessarily was subvert that perhaps as much as uh, I could have, because uh, I know in Resident Evil 2, there's a moment where you open the door and this time something comes out of it, which never never usually happens, and it's a great moment. Yeah, um, when you go to get the valve outside in the garden. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, I love, I just love the fact that people don't trust me, you know, so they'll play the game, and for the whole time they'll think, no, no, no he's going to do something here, there's something happening, and uh, it keeps them on edge for, you know, the whole hour and a half or whatever it is. In a way, it's almost better that you didn't put anything there because then it really is like they're just creating their own worst enemy in their mind. More than anything, I like the what I liked about back then, even though it was just a way of hiding loading times and all that sort of thing, and it does the same thing here, is that it gives you that two seconds of doubt. Right. Where you're just like, oh crap, I shouldn't have done that, and then there's nothing there, and you feel a little bit of relief, and you're okay again. But then you hear a noise, and it's not okay again. So, right, yeah, just little it's, things like that that keep you stringing you along is what I really appreciate about home more than anything. I would probably say. What's good, yeah, it sounds like you're the right the right kind of player for the game because uh, uh, that stuff you know affects you in the correct way, and you know is giving you those correct cues. I think uh, in in Silent Hill, most of them. Whenever there was a transition between rooms, the sound would always load in for the visuals. Mm-hmm. So you know you would start to hear static, you would start to hear something moving and whatnot. And even for that split second before you got your picture, uh, I was always going, "Oh man, did I wrong? This is the wrong door. Is the right door? What did I do? Is this worse than you know when I left it? All that stuff." So it's yeah. great when people people do this stuff for themselves. One thing I think about most game designers is that they always think that you have to. Like almost a system in place to deal with all these things. Like mm-hmm. a very proper way to look at it, you have to be able to quantify and understand that, you know, or think that humanity is a series of mathematical problems, and if you just solve the right problems, they have the right, you know, amount of action and fear, all that stuff. But a lot of this is just sleight of hand, uh, pushing buttons, and I think about uh, understanding that people <laughs> yeah, are the worst people to the, themselves, so like, you don't have to do all that much. Yeah, for sure. So, we talked quite a bit about your game already. I don't want to get too far into more things because I think it's something that, I mean, people that read the site have heard me talk before on the other stuff I've done. They know what type of gamer I am, so if you're like me, you'll probably like this game. You should just go pick it up and all that sort of thing. Just play it. I want to talk more about what has influenced you to get into video games, because looking at your repertoire here, you've done some illustration work and that whole sort of thing. So what is it about video games that got you intrigued enough to start down that path? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been playing games since I was a kid. Uh, uh, as young as I can remember, started with television came from there. Uh, the big thing is that I, you know, I do illustration. Um, art and galleries every now and then and things like that but I never feel like I ever get to properly express something unless it's in a game and I feel like it's the only medium where I get to say specifically the things I want to say and I think it's because uh, I know that I can provoke certain reactions of people uh, you know in home I guess is one example of that and in a way, it's almost the only way I can communicate like, this, is, this is what I think when these things happen or this is the experience that I've been through. Uh, and you can do that obviously with comics and paintings and, and everything else, but I find that games are uniquely suited and um, for, I guess, a certain kind of emotion or reaction or, or 
a certain depth of that, I feel like they are even uh, better at doing that than a lot of other media. So the, the main drive is just, you know, when I do a comic, I feel good about it, but when I do a game, I feel a thousand times better about it. So it just seems to be something that I can't get away from, matter, you know, if I don't even feel like working on a game, that's the case, I have to. Right. Sounds good. Um, are there any other inspirations, like besides video games, that you pull from, maybe in literature or movies or music or anything like that? Uh, sometimes. I mean, it's mostly just real life. That's the biggest thing. I don't really find myself necessarily inspired by movies or whatnot. I, kinda, I don't know. These days I'm kind of hating movies because they're all the same. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of bugs me. I mean, I still watch movies, but uh, I complain about them afterwards. Uh, it's, it's just real life. You know, like it's the main thing is seeing, uh, you know, like crazy stuff that we used to do when we were kids growing up in the country. And translating that into uh, something you wouldn't get anywhere else. You know, I did I did a postmortem where I talked about home and how a lot of it was inspired by going through old abandoned houses in the country because my friends and I would do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to me, that's more interesting, like getting across all the wacky things that you um, uh, that you did. I think a lot of people draw way too much inspiration from just other media. Uh, but that's not as much as interesting as what happened to people's real lives. You know, you meet a lot of people, and sometimes they led some very interesting lives or just some really messed up lives. And that's the kind of stuff you want to you want to hear about. And that's the kind of stuff that will make you know new, better, more interesting, and a greater variety of games. But if everyone's just you know like riffing off aliens or whatever, then then we're all just making the same thing over and over again. Right. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes with how I've been thinking lately, too. I haven't read a fiction book in quite a long time. I read read a lot of biographies. Right, yeah. Um, And it's one of the reasons I love podcasts, especially podcasts made by people not so well-known, because I like to hear their own experiences and what they've gone through with their lives. Yeah. It's just fascinating, so I completely agree on that front. Well, one of the things about uh, like living in Toronto is I'm not from Toronto. Um, I didn't grow up here, but uh, it's it's like definitely like kind of a mean place sort of city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always meet someone who's like, I never meet anyone who lives or who was born or was raised downtown, which is where I live. They're either from the suburbs, from a completely different town, or you know, oftentimes from from a completely different country. And I find that's always interesting because I love meeting new people, and I love it when you come across somebody who really kind of pushes your idea of what is normal or uh, or what's comfortable. Because, uh-huh. you know, especially when you live in a big city, um, it's often easy to forget uh, that, you know, the world is a crazy, weird place. <laughs> yeah. you, see, you see so much every day that you need to sensitize a lot of things. Then you meet that one person, you go, huh, I, I did not know that. You know, I did not know that, that people did that or, you know, where you came from, things were like that or whatnot. And, uh, I think people talk about Toronto a lot as kind of a hotbed for development. Uh, yes. Which is true, but I think one of the main reasons is that, uh, you know, within a square kilometer, you'll find a, a whole bunch of people who all come from different places and all have very, very uh, opposing or, you know, wacky ideas about the very same thing. And, uh, uh, like, most of the people that I know in the industry here, if we talked about a lot of game-related stuff, we'd mostly just fight. Okay. Because neither of us like the same things. Most of us have very strong opinions about different things. Uh, and I have some very good friends in the industry. We just don't talk about games too much. Uh, because we kind of know. Like, I know you hate this. And I know you hate this. And I know that if I say that I like this game, you're just going to say it's you know it's it's garbage. And there's no point 
arguing about it, but I understand why, because their background's different or like, you know, they're more into math or something than, than I am. That's kind of, that kind of makes it fun. Yeah, for sure. So since you're from Toronto, like I've talked to quite a few indie developers from Toronto. Do you go to the game jams or any of that around town? Uh, sometimes I don't go to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, only because of time. And I figure if I'm working on a game, I should be finishing stuff I have to do for my own. I feel guilty when I'm not. Yeah. Uh, but that's where I started, and that's where I got my, my start doing any game-related stuff. And, uh, you know, there's lots of events that happen here. Um, and there's, a, there's a, like a collaborative workspace here called Bento Lisa, and they hold, host events all the time. Last week, we just did an uh, event for my students that I teach um, at local university for game design for them to do a showcase. So... Most of the folks that I meet, we kind of just, you know, I don't always see them every day, but we just hit up all these places, yeah, and, and reconvene uh, at these events and, you know, see how we, everyone else is doing. Sounds good. Okay, well, I think that's about all the questions I really had for now. Um, oh, I guess I've been asking everybody this, and I've been getting pretty much the same answer, but... If you were to give any advice to somebody that wanted to start their own indie game or do games at all, what advice would you give them? Uh, the advice is to start right now and make a game. Don't think about it, just do it. Yeah, that's what everybody says, dude. <laughs> find a game jam, do whatever it takes, but the longer you wait and plan, it'll never get done. It should take three days to make your first mess. And right. Then, and then go from there. Another thing that people usually add is that no matter how like shitty you think something is, just finish it, get it done, and then start on the next one. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Mm, so I guess we could just set it in stone there. That, that, yeah, you can call that 100% truth. <laughs> yeah, there hasn't been anybody that has disagreed. So, so there, funny. There you go. <laughs> so, all right. So thank you again for taking time out and talking to us. I absolutely love your game for a lot of this stuff. It does that. I've been reading some reviews and people just some people just don't get what you're trying to go for and it's kind of infuriating, but I mean, people will be people and that's whatever. So, <laughs> right. But, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting to play a game that really is less of a game of than more of a ex- narrative experience or journey, I guess. Right. And it's nice to see that every now and then in between the shooters and that whole thing. So anybody wondering where they can get your game, reach you, your website, do all your plugs. Sure, yeah. Uh, best way to, to reach me if you ever need to see what's going on is follow me on Twitter, at Benjamin Rivers. Want to grab the game? Go to www.homehorror.com, and of course it's available on Steam, and that website will link you there as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter every day, making a fool of myself constantly, so by all means, if anyone wants to get in touch, go there. All right, sounds good. And for Pixel Response, I'm Paul, and I'll see you guys later. Great, thanks very much.